Over Under Movies and all the Playlist podcasts are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional, independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. Mubi's film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem and you have one month to watch it. Plans start as low as $5.99 a month. Visit mubi.com slash the playlist to start a special 30-day free trial. Movie's current highlights include a Volker Schlondorf triple feature, a trio of films by Caesar and Palm Dior winning Volker Schlondorf, a pioneering director of the new German cinema. The series will be released throughout the weekend, starting with today's film Death of a Salesman, starring Dustin Hoffman. The Paradise Trilogy, at Cannes, Venice, and Berlin Ale, few films got our attention, quite like Ulrich Siddell's acclaimed Unshakable Paradise Trilogy, a series of radical, darkly comic stories about the search for happiness. All three chapters, Love, Faith, and Hope, are now showing. Once again, to start your free trial, visit mubi.com slash playlist. Now, on to the show. Over the line! Hello, and welcome to another episode of Over Under Movies, the podcast where we choose one overrated movie, one underrated movie, similar in tone, genre, style, or however we may see fit, and we discuss them. I'm Ryan Oliver. This is Oktay Ege Kozak. And uh, we have a very special guest joining us today, uh, fellow playlist writer Andy Crump. Andy, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How about uh, how about the two of you guys? Doing doing well. It's it's Friday no, uh, while we're recording, so that's always a good sign. Um, but ready to, these ready are, to talk these about are some oppressive secret robots and aliens and all that stuff. Yes, yes, we are. Um, so, Andy, these are your picks. Uh, as uh, and as Octay pointed out, the oppressive robots. Uh, secret societies, um, sci-fi, genre-bending, mind-bending films. Um, very similar in plot, but very, very different in tone. Um, but we will go ahead and get started with uh, your overrated pick, which is uh, the Wachowski sisters' uh, seminal 1999 film, The Matrix. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Which you had had this pick for a while. We accidentally got topical since there's been talks of a reboot in the works uh, in the last like week or so. Uh, so it's just kind of accidental how that happened. But uh, Andy, I want to pass the ball to you. Why do you, uh, you know, this movie's so beloved. It's started such a huge cultural phenomenon but you're calling it out. You're calling it overrated. Um, how do? Why do you feel that it is overrated? Well, it's complicated because I feel like this is a movie that hasn't aged particularly well. I mean, if if I go back and rewatch it, I, I feel like it feels very much like a movie of its time, and there's nothing really wrong with that. There are a lot of great movies that are very obviously of their time. You can kind of sense the era that they're made in. But for like a lot of those movies, like I, I would say, you know, like a movie like Taxi Driver or The Godfather, kind of, kind of, point to like the time in which they were made in a, in a way that feels cohesive and doesn't feel disruptive, or or in in a way that doesn't necessarily show its age. I think you see the age in The Matrix a lot uh, when you go back and rewatch it today, and and that's not necessarily a bad thing, and it's not necessarily the movie's fault. This being a movie that is kind of driven a lot by style and by effects work, naturally it's going to look at, you know, somewhat behind in 2017 compared to how it looked when it first came out. I mean, 
you guys, I'm sure you guys remember watching this movie uh, for the first time, you know, years ago and, and how it like you like I, if, if you're like me, you hadn't seen a movie that looked like this at that time. Yeah, yeah it, it that, blew me away for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a it was a big uh, cultural like phenomenon that like the, the influence its influences didn't really go away for like a good five years after that. I feel like up until like 2005, 2006, you would keep having these like matrix clones that like kind of aped its uh style that uh your equilibriums to... and your blade yeah. twos yeah, yeah. The, the, the fight, your, the fight uh, choreography you know uh placing um you know cyberpunk sci-fi and martial arts and uh high octane like um action that used a lot of cgi special effects with like new agey kind of uh philosophy and um all this kind of uh, college dorm room after right around 4:20, you know, like pretty much 90% of Morpheus's dialogue is um, is pretty much like college campus, like freshman uh, conversations you have, <laughs> at, like late at night after like toking up a little bit. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's I do agree what what you're saying, Andy. Like this this movie is still a lot of fun to watch, but it's um, has dated more than I kind of thought it would um like over time it's so firmly planted in that late 90s style even though it kind of defined a new style for the new millennium um it's kind of like stuck in between those two like it's 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 a film that's like very much in the 90s as far as like the kind of cool leather bound costume design and the 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 kind of tech talk about like hackers and all that stuff that goes into it there's a little bit more research that went into this than the 1995 masterpiece hackers but um it's still it's still a little bit hokey when you like when you watch it today with fresh uh perspective where when you know a little bit more about like how stuff like this works and also it's not just the um it's not just the style and the music and all that stuff it's just like something about the way that it 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 intermingles the technology it's high concept it's really fascinating but the it the the way that it kind of shoehorns in all this like theology and kind of new age philosophy which was really really popular in the late 90s as well um that stuff makes it even more so than the 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 technology and the you know of course yeah you know like the flip phones and the Merlin Manson Rage Against the Machine and all that stuff it's like it it almost dates it more for me the way that it's like it's so heavy on the uh, um, you know the, the heavy ended like uh, new age philosophy in it which is kind of like the Wachowski sisters you know bread and butter uh, anyway so um, I don't know what do you guys think about that and also Ryan like uh, revisiting now what did you think Does it, do you think it still holds up uh, I think it holds up pretty decently I agree with Andy that it is very much of its time. Um, but as I was watching this movie again, I was feeling uh, a little nostalgic and I just got back from seeing train spotting two last night. So maybe that's why I'm sort of dealing mm-hmm. with nostalgia the way that movie is. But like, I've been thinking about it a lot and, um, I wasn't necessarily nostalgic for this time and place or necessarily this movie, but I thought about like in the like grander scheme of things, I guess, because this movie came out in March of 1999, which at the time was not seen as like a time of the year that like really profitable blockbuster smash movies came out. Like that was a concept that was just not even an idea. And then so this movie came out and it was a huge, huge smash. And, you know, we're in March now on the brink of like the highest grossing March of all time. And it's like now it's kind of a 
like a summer annex almost for like mm-hmm. blockbuster movies. And so the Matrix kind of changed the game in that way. But I also was thinking of it in terms of like like one of the big movies that have has come out um, this uh, March was Kong Skull Island put out by the same studio, no less. Like and I'm thinking of like the Wachowskis who who had made Bound at this point. It was the only movie they had made. And it was a small indie caper. Uh, and then Warner Brothers took a chance on them, gave them 70 million and said, go, go make your movie. Go. And it, it was made with a like an untamed vision and an untamed imagination. And then you like, you know, you're looking at uh, almost 20 years later and the same thing happens with a director like Joan, Jordan Vogue Roberts, where it's like, oh, you made this quaint little indie in the Kings of Summer that was good. Like, go make your movie. But it, it's got no vision like it's totally like focus grouped and like quality controlled and is just like startlingly big and stupid and so it just made me think of like how it is such a different time like even though it's only 20 like i mean 20 years ago is still a decent amount of time but it's just like how this movie could have been made on that level at that time and so like i i while i do think the movie's dated um, I'd still do have a fondness for the movie and, uh, and honestly, sadly, probably the best movie that Wachowskis will make. Um, cause I thought a lot about like, especially like the, the musings, the philosophical musings that you were discussing about Morpheus. That's like all their movies, all their mm-hmm. movies are yeah. about an oppressed group of people. Cloud Atlas has six stories about that crammed into one movie. So it's just like every single movie they've repeated the same, uh, template to lesser and lesser results Jupiter Ascending so uses just... the same exact mystery i mean instead of yes. uh yes. instead of ai uh using humans as as a power source it's aliens using humans as uh as you know as some kind as like what re- revitalizing skin cream or something like it's, 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 <laughs> it's like soil like green but for it's... body products or yeah body. yeah <laughs> it, it makes you younger it's like uh you know yeah and then all your old age makeup kind of like fades away or something like that i don't know i don't even i try to fight that movie you know, my memory I, I i still i still whenever i talk about that movie i have to bite my tongue to keep from calling it stupider ascending it's it's a it's a it's a struggle man well it's, uh, it's, i didn't even it, think about that that's a good pun actually that's, that's pretty good it's 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 a miracle that no one i that's you're the first one that ever i feel like ever used it and that would have been I, like I, I feel like that would have been the go-to pun for like all the reviewers back around the time it came out. I feel like all those reviewers probably had better sense than I do and, and said, no, this is too obvious. <laughs> we're we're going to just leave that alone and uh, someone I... else will come up with that like later and look and, and they'll look like a fool because it's it's terrible. Yeah, someone will jump on that, on that pun grenade and you were like, I, that's me, I'll do it. Um, I'll that's do right. I'm, I'm, I'm Chris Evans in the first Captain America. Oh, just yeah, throwing yeah. myself not done, go. man. But um, I, but what, it, that's that's an interesting place to, to to kind of follow through because is it like our like kind of my at least my diminished enjoyment of uh, the first Matrix? Um, I mean, there isn't much of a diminished enjoyment value in the the two sequels because I wasn't really like such a big fan to begin with when they first came out. But um, I feel like in my case, maybe uh, I have a little bit of a backlash, especially against. Um, how annoying I find all the the New Age lingo and Morpheus's dialogue, and how like kind of ped- pedantic and pedestrian it sounds to me now, and how I'm like, this is you know the the idea, the concept itself, the, the strictly the sci-fi concept, not the New Age, um, the the theological uh, 
aura that the film has, but the the actual sci-fi concept I find to be like so brilliant that I'm I'm almost like this time around I'm almost like a little bit disappointed that it went through went to that like heavy-handed uh, new agey stuff. But like I think uh, I don't know what you guys think about that, but um, think about this uh, that maybe. Um, the Wachowski sisters kind of after they proved themselves to be kind of one trick ponies, like going over the same uh, stuff over and over again, like that kind of like, I don't know, like, like, like knowing that their history now and then returning to the Matrix and watching it now, I think I think that kind of made it um, a little bit more annoying to me. Did you guys have that have that feeling or was it the opposite thinking, oh, this is still there like obviously their best stuff you know for me i feel like the matrix is something that the wachowskis needed to get out of their system creatively like obviously they had to they they would not have the career that they had had they not made the matrix movies in just in terms of industry in terms of finances in terms of you know commercial clout but i also think that they needed to get all of that heavy-handedness that you're talking about kind of out of the way and it works it works really well. It worked well for me years ago. I mean, I, I will not say that... A, I will not say that I don't like The Matrix now, because I do. But B, I will also say that years years later, many years later, after seeing it you know, in high school and then watching it on and off through college, et cetera, et cetera, all the way up to today, you know, we were talking about, like, the the pedantry of the of its philosophy. And I, I, think, I think that's completely true i think the more that you watch it the less that that holds up uh i, th- also, I the, think the older you get the more nuance you get in you get yeah. in your life the most nuanced approaches you have to like these high concept ideas like i think it, it just becomes a little more annoying yeah you, you you it's this is something that i've been saying about um dennis dennis vianu uh, of arrival and and um sicario it like that that guy is a great magician. Like his movies work really well as long as you don't see the seams of the trick. But once you start to see the seams and you understand how the trick is pulled off, it starts like the trick starts to lose its its impact. And I feel like that that like the the power of like the mind blowing quote unquote power of the philosophy, uh, the phil- the philosophical in, uh, influences of the Matrix, they lose their shine the more that you the more that you watch the maybe the older that you get the really what i think remains with with us today from the matrix has a lot more to do with style than with substance and i Mm -hmm. think you know ryan had talked about kong skull island coming out and i think that's one half of the matrix effect and then the other half of the matrix effect we'll we'll see next week when you know the ghost in the shell live action Mm -hmm. movie comes out like they're still making um matrix movies in terms of like the influences that they that they borrow from and the style with which they tell those stories. Which the, the so, Wachowski sisters actually, I think, they just brought like a DVD of Ghost in the Shell and showed it to Joel Silver and they were like, we want to make like a live action version of this. And that was part yeah. of how they like sold the idea. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's true. There's there's still like kind of an audience for that kind of uh, live action stylish cyberpunk stuff. I think for me, the reason The Matrix still works um Despite, you know, I, I, I don't totally understand going through the Wachowskis later movies and then being like thinking they're one trick ponies. Like I could I completely understand that. And this is like this and Bound are really the only two movies of theirs that 
I like, but I, I've always felt, you know, I've always felt that they uh, have no shortage of ideas. They have no shortage of vision. Mm -hmm. They've, they're not, they're not as good, but they've always reminded me of James Cameron in the way that like, Mm -hmm. they are very technically assured filmmakers and especially in the matrix, they know how to root that action and character. And that's the big thing that I like about the matrix is that I find these characters interesting. And I like, I care about these characters and why I followed them. And why we all followed them into two very subpar sequels to say the least. Um, but they've always been good at doing action, but terrible screenwriters. I mean, James Cameron made a career out of, has made a career out of that. And he's made some of the best action movies ever made. So I, I think to me, it doesn't it doesn't diminish my enjoyment of this first movie um, because I think the talent is still very much there. The talent is there in the direction. I just think that uh, and, and I think we like Octa, you and I have talked about this a lot on the show about certain filmmakers where we respect them or think they have vision, um, but they maybe should uh, step away from the pen or like direct somebody else's writing. Yeah. And maybe like, you know, to get kind of get back on their feet. A little bit um, yeah and in, in in terms of like um ambition versus um execution would you say the wachowski sisters stand somewhere between like james cameron and uh like richard kelly was that the dude's name? Uh, like, donnie darko guy? Donnie yeah. Darko yeah, director? Yeah. yeah that richard kelly yeah i would say so i mean i think uh i would <laughs> i would i saw this graph um i can't remember where who posted it on twitter i around the time interstellar came out and while i disagreed with the chart it was a charting of the execution in christopher nolan's films versus the ambition and the execution line was like a straight line and the ambition was like started low with uh memento and insomnia and like the chart of that got greater but the execution just kind of stayed the same Mm-hmm. Uh, which I disagreed with that, but like applying it to someone like the Wachowskis, I think it's it's very fitting because they have gotten very ambitious with their movies. Like I I don't like Cloud Atlas, but I can't say that I don't respect uh, that movie at least for what it was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think they painted themselves into a corner with this movie as the sequel's evident. I think they crammed all of their musings and theology and everything into one movie, you know, not expecting it to take off the way it did, and then was like, oh shit. Like the studio wants two more movies. Yeah, the other we two kind of are put definitely it all in missing. One movie. <laughs> yeah, the the other two are definitely missing that kind of immediacy of that artistic drive. Like it just it just looks like they yeah they did write themselves into a corner and they were like, okay, I guess we got to do more of these. Let's come up with some stuff. I don't I don't know. What do you what do you think about um, Andy? What do, what do you think about all that? And also like, what are your thoughts on the uh, sequels? You know, it's it's taken me years to figure out why I I've increasingly loathed the sequels. Like I. I liked the reloaded. I thought some of the elements of that, that like the new quote unquote elements that they introduced are really cool. I loved the, uh, the ghosts. I mean, I thought that was, I thought, I think things like that, I think little details like that expanded the world just slightly, even with the seek, even with reloaded, then you get to revolutions. The problem with both of these movies ultimately for me is that they're just kind of pale imitations of the matrix. Like, they they just do like it this sounds like such a petty complaint but they just do what the matrix did it's just that you've already again like we'll get back to the magic trick analogy we've already seen the trick and there's mm-hmm. not much that's that that is done in either of the sequels mm-hmm. to uh add to or evolve and the we trick. At, around that time we were also like inundated with one clone after the other too oh yeah so yeah, it wasn't like just that... the sequels it was like completely on you know 
quote-unquote unrelated movies that like aped its style up the wazoo you know oh yeah i i can't i can't remember i can't remember when like when the the clones all started coming out but like i mean as soon as as soon as the thing the the thing that is so that that is the matrix that like is so special about the matrix becomes replicated like and yeah. mass it's it yeah. does you know it does take it it doesn't I mean, take I mean, away from the movie but it it kind of takes away from the effect that the movie has i mean fucking charlie's yeah. angels had bullet time in it you know right yeah <laughs> every movie was doing yeah. it it's the same thing kind of happened with pulp fiction i think like pulp fiction and the matrix yeah. we're still feeling the effects of those movies today like they're still seeing clones of both mm-hmm. of them like just one after the other and I, and i think that's that's a that's a sign that like i i know that I know that this is, you know, we're we're talking about the Matrix as an overrated movie. I know it was my choice, but like you also you can't you can't divorce that movie from its influence or from like mm-hmm. the ways in which oh, yeah. it has changed the industry. But but it was hailed as kind of like a um, not only a game changer in the industry, but it was also it still kind of is hailed as a masterpiece by a lot of people. And I don't I don't think that's necessarily the case either. So in that way, like it, in in this show, like we mostly talk about like. You know, we, we bring this up from time to time to get people up to date on what we're trying to do here, which is, like, we don't necessarily talk about good or bad movies, but just about, like, how a movie can still be good, great even, um, but does it really live up to the kind of pedestal that people people put it on? And and as far as The Matrix is concerned, for, for me, no. I, 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 I mentioned this earlier, but the thing that really that really sticks with us today is not is not substantial. It's it's really all about elements of style. And mm-hmm. I, I I think I think what what's really what's really great about the Matrix is that it allowed the Wachowskis to step up and do bigger things and and like try to uh, and, and see like bigger projects, you know, brought to fruition. I, I actually think Ryan, this is gonna drive you crazy. I think Cloud Atlas is their masterpiece. I think Cloud oh, Atlas is an incredible. <laughs> now, see, I, I think it's. I think that. I think they needed to make. Uh, obviously, for like, I'm again, I'm repeating something I said earlier. They had. They had to make the Matrix movies for financial reasons in order to make something like Cloud Atlas. They could not have made Cloud Atlas before they made the Matrix for so True. many reasons. But I think. I think um, Cloud Atlas and then also Speed Racer do. Like it, as individual films, what The Matrix tries to do as a a single film, and I think both of those movies are for me they're more enduring and on a, like a, on a personal level more successful in that regard. I think I think Cloud Atlas, I think Cloud Atlas, just in terms of theme, in terms of material, in terms of just the sheer amount of thought that it has bouncing around inside of its head, you know, is a lot more it, you know resonates a lot more, and I think it's you know a more powerful movie. By consequence, and Speed Racer, I think, is just a great, you know, sugar rush of a movie. It's it's pure candy. Mm-hmm. Sure, and, you know, and not that I, I don't I don't think the Matrix was ever trying to be pure candy or pure. Obviously, it's not trying to be like pure or anything. It's kind of trying. It to kind of goes down together. as uh, a little bit more of uh, like pure candy, like pure fast food now than it did before. Like all the the heavy-handed theology and philosophy that it uh, that it tries to explore, uh, not only doesn't really mean anything to me anymore but it also like kind of gets in the way of some really good interesting storytelling as far as like the you know the high concept sci-fi premise uh goes yeah i i i agree with that i mean at some point i think i'm, I'm watching the, like or at some point like you know years ago when i watched 
rewatched The Matrix for the umpteenth time, I kind of just really wasn't having any of the philosophical mumbo jumbo. And I kind of just wanted to watch Keanu Reeves do Mm -hmm. what Keanu Reeves does. This may have been around the time that the first John Wick movie came out and Mm. reminded me just what a vital action star Keanu is. But you know, when I go back to the Matrix now, it's it's for that stuff. It's not really for like the like the philosophy, all of that. That's th- those are my vegetables. Like I'm getting through those just so I can watch Hugo Weaving and Keanu Reeves, you know, go at it, just duke it out totally. in a subway. Because that that stuff still like that stuff still works, even though it's oh, obviously yeah, the, the action dated. set pieces are still great. Yeah, and the I, fact I mean, that they they feel a little bit dated uh, kind of makes them more fun to watch now. I don't know if that like makes sense to you guys. It's cool to think about how far the film has come and technology has come. And, you know, since since the Wachowskis started doing In the Matrix, it's it's cool. It's cool and kind of impressive to, you know, watch that and compare that to the modern blockbusters and the modern action movies that uh, are the beneficiaries of, of the advances that they made and the innovations that they provided with the Matrix. So that there's there is something kind of awesome, like awe inspiring in in kind of witnessing that. I uh, I definitely agree with that, and that's um you know I I think uh the the musings maybe don't imp- like like with you Andy they don't impress me as much anymore. But I do think, and this is I think this is why it makes the sequels all the more disappointing is that I love the world that they create. Uh, like I, lo- I absolutely love the the world and the, like the exploration of this world could be you know could be cool and that's why I'm not like I'm not like opposed to the reboot idea if they're like I'm, if they're gonna go explore other facets of the Matrix uh, if they're just gonna do the same thing then I don't really want any part of that because the sequels already did that and they didn't you is know, it take gonna that have the Wachowskis to- in it and any. Form? Like, are they going to write it or to, to direct my, it? To or? my knowledge, no. To my knowledge, that, that might be Warner a good Brothers thing, actually, especially when it comes to the script. Yeah, it might be. Um, I mean, I, I'm certainly interested to, I guess, read that saga and see what ends up happening. You know, we we could give um, franchises like the chronic franchisings of things crap and which which you know i'm guilty of i do it all the time but at the same time where it's like you know if you get a good filmmaker behind it where it's like you know it's like ah do we need a blade runner sequel denae villeneuve's doing it okay now i'm interested Mm -hmm. you know that sort of thing so it's like if somebody is gonna like make the matrix the new matrix and it's gonna be like somebody who's interesting and exciting and what they can bring to it then sure i'm all for it but um but i do think there is still something um while it is awe-inspiring, as, as you mentioned, Andy, there is something still weirdly quaint about this movie, uh, even though it is a grandiose vision and an action spectacle that um, that I still find enjoyable. So, um, you know, it, it's it, dated, it but... That, yeah, it has a childlike giddiness to it, especially when it comes to martial arts and the, um, the gunfight sequences. Like you, you, like, you can tell that they're having so much fun constructing these oh, yeah. sequences, and you just kind of, like, get invited into it, and that's what kind of the, the sequels are missing, because it looked like maybe they just wanted to move on, and they were like, well, we can make a gajillion dollars out of this and cement our, our uh, cement the Matrix into the pop culture even more permanently, I guess. But yeah, the first one definitely has that kind of like unbridled creativity that you can really have a lot of fun with i feel like i should say i should make a statement more like more to the effect of this movie is overrated because we've just spent a lot of time talking about like how good this movie still like still is and how much we like it but like like of all like all of the all of the things about it you know that 
are obviously still having an impact on movies today. All the things about it that we go back to and, you know, smile at and find quaint, which I like. I like that we're using the word quaint to describe the Matrix. And if you told me like in 1999 yeah. that someday we'd be calling the Matrix quaint, I'd have told you to get like, the hell like out. Like this behemoth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's where we're at, though. That, these yeah. giant, overwhelming, bombastic, cacophonous spectacles i don't know how many adjectives i could squeeze in there but you know they, they have uh, I'll, gar- I'll try for it but you know the, the these movies have gotten so gargantuan but less even lesser in substance that the matrix just it does feel quaint as weird as that is to say i i wonder if we peaked with, like with the matrix with that with that kind of movie and, and like that and and since then we've kind of like the movies have kind of just gone downhill from there. I'm, well, I'm sure that's not really true, but it, it sort of feels like it. Like but the, the, this, the... this kind of big budget special effects driven stuff, definitely. I mean, it was um, late 90s and early 2000s. It felt like it was like that perfect sweet spot between, you know, the CGI wasn't as advanced. So not everybody was trying to like create everything on CGI uh but also, like, there was, like, all these new amazing innovations with, like, stunt work and practical effects. And I think Matrix was there just to, like, capitalize on both of them almost equally. I mean, as far as, like, the way we're calling it quaint, I think part of it is because this movie was, like, oh, it's the... When when it came out, it was... Everybody was talking about, like, it's all about, like, the new age of cinema where everything is done in computers and it's all CGI and all that. And now you watch it now, it almost feels a lot more grounded than any of the other tentpole giant blockbusters that come out today because it use it does use a lot of like practical effects would you say that we're we're in like would you would you describe this as maybe kind of too much of a good thing like kind of where we're at now versus where we were at in 1999 with the matrix yeah kind i think of. so i mean it, it, it's it's sort of the the spice not the stew argument mm. um you know because we we've gone so far in special effects but i think we have reached uh i think it was allison wilmore uh, BuzzFeed and uh, Film Spotting SVU had a good point. She was talking about going to bring up Kong Skull Island again, but uh, she was talking about that movie and she said there was an effect in that movie that there was a, uh, a computer rendered action sequence that was almost identical to one that was in The Great Wall, uh, which are both legendary uh, produced movies. And so, um, and then I also thought about the uh, De Palma documentary where he's like, yeah, all these special effects, you just, they, they're pre visualized and they're put in a computer and they just put in the algorithm and it's churned out when he was talking about how they basically came up with the ending of mission impossible on the spot. Um, so I think we have reached that like level of like, we got to give people what they want, but they are so like preconceptualized that there's not any room for innovation. And so they just, there, there's a blandness and a sameness to a lot of the stuff like it even though it's like for all intents and purposes still impressive what people can do on a computer but in terms of like conveying it cinematically it just becomes boring there's not there's not much of a risk when you watch a movie especially a big giant budget movie like this like even watching the matrix which does use a lot of computer effects you can see you can you can it's ten the risk is tangible the um when you're watching it you're just like constantly thinking in your head like all these many many different ways like these this stunt or that stunt or these uh like kind of photographic effects like like the bullet time and all that stuff could have gone wrong a lot of that stuff was like untested at the time and it wasn't perfected and like you watch it that i feel like that's 
part of the excitement. And when you watch something knowing that there isn't any kind of space for failure, really, like uh, it's 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 it just kind of strips that away a little bit. So so maybe what we're looking at is is the, the Matrix being a case of like you know catching lightning in a bottle. And yeah. now we're we're at a point now where people have been aping the 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 Matrix, the lessons learned from the Matrix so much that kind of kind of what I think of now when I when I look at the Matrix is the like what the Matrix did like really was only great because of the people who were involved in making it and not because like the thing itself mm-hmm. is necessarily any 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 good like in a vacuum mm-hmm. and maybe that is kind of why I think of the Matrix now and I think like you know it's it's overblown like we we kind of we've kind of all spent the last nearly 20 years talking it up a little too much because yeah, I mean, but then that's not necessarily even the fault of like now I'm blaming the movie and like mm-hmm. the, it's not really the movie's fault. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's the it's the fault of, you know, of uncreative types trying to replicate something that they can't necessarily replicate. I mean, for all of the for all of the flaws that I see in the Wachowski's filmography, they are very smart, very creative, very thoughtful people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel I feel like maybe they they kind of they open Pandora's box with the Matrix, mm-hmm. and For- in some ways that's been great, and in some ways that hasn't been so good. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and. Uh, um... Well, the one thing that I can't blame them for is that, like, uh, the more I watch it, uh, I have more and more issues with the with the script, and especially with the way they, uh, the clunky way that they dole out um, exposition. As soon as uh, Neo basically comes out of the uh, Matrix, the story progression basically comes to a halt, and then you get a uh, pretty much a PowerPoint presentation from Morpheus for about twenty minutes, uh, where he just like goes through every single like in this like really kind of didactic clunky fashion but uh but yeah that that's i feel like that's always been their their problem but um it kind of the the less and less kind of relevance we give to matrix and kind of look at it as a movie on its own merits the more that's that kind of stuff kind of bothers me and i feel like maybe we've kind of because it was so the style of it was so original and um something we haven't seen before that i feel like did we did we give it a pass back then i think maybe we did the, i think maybe we did you know the the powerpoint discussion I, I i feel like instances of that are kind of peppered throughout the movie and it's it's just really not not very good dramaturgy again there's they have so many the, the wachowskis uh have so many interesting ideas and they have such an interesting vision that I think it let them get away with the, this otherwise very poorly dramatized, or maybe poor is a strong word, but it's not very well dramatized uh, narrative. Yeah. As someone who sits through a lot of tech PowerPoints uh, in his day job, that is uh, the funniest thing that I have <laughs> heard. <laughs> it's a very, it's a yeah. very apt comparison, but. What, what, what do you think, I, I Ryan? Think, do you think we, we gave it a pass at the time, or do we just get older and more sophisticated? I think we just got older, sophisticated, and maybe slightly cynical. And like I'm including myself in that boat. I'm I'm you know I think we've just grown more cynical as a movie going culture. But like I think of movies that I've given a that I gave a pass to at the time that like truly like I'm thinking of a movie like Three Hundred. Like that, I gave a pass to at the time. That's just like that movie does not hold up in any capacity. Talk about like the dated. Matrix. Yeah, well, it, well, that movie was made eight years after this movie, and it feels more dated than this yeah. one. So, like, I, I, I guess that's you know, yeah, there's something to be said about the innovation and 
And again, uh, maybe it's not dramatically satisfying, but uh, I do I do at least still find it uh, an interesting an interesting movie. So uh, I guess I guess I can't quite come down on the overrated side. A little overblown, sure, but uh, but I still I'm still very much a, a fan of this movie. Is is it the 18th greatest movie ever made? As I, know, yeah, I have the IMDb, IMDb page pulled up. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no, but I mean, we know IMDb yeah. gets a little overblown. They like to rate, uh, people like to rate movies before they even come out. Yeah, that's uh, true. On there, yeah, like, sure do go by then. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, um, what do you think? Do you want to move on to uh, the world's end? What do you guys think? Let's do it. I like it. And we're back, just like the Five Musketeers. Three musketeers, isn't it? Four if you count D'Artagnan. Well, nobody knows how many there were, really, do they, Pete? I mean, history's a sketchbook. I, you do know that The Three Musketeers is a fiction, right? Written by Alexander Dumas. A lot of people are saying that about the Bible these days. What, that it was written by Alexander Dumas? Huh? Don't be daft, Steve. It was written by Jesus. Anyway, five sounds much better. I think they missed the trick only having three, because if they'd have five, then two could have died, and they still have three left. We're there, yeah? Let's do this! All right, so, yeah, so the world's end. Uh, we, we, uh... Show tip the hand a little bit. Uh, Edgar Wright's 2013 uh, closer of the Cornetto trilogy. Um, your choosing is underrated, um, which I won't bury my lead. I absolutely love this movie, but I was curious how you're approaching it as an underrated because it is uh, a pretty, pretty beloved movie and it was the most uh, successful, at least financially, of the Cornetto films. So I was wondering why, um, why do you feel The World's End is underrated? This for me is probably this is coming from a very like a more like individual. I was going to say personal, but I think that's overplaying my hand a little bit. It's coming from a a more anecdotal or individual place for me. I I just know I know uh, a a handful of people for sure who uh, throw shade at this movie as as a sad old white guy uh, story. And then I I just think on a I it, it did it it did make more money than you were you saying I, I actually didn't realize that it had made more money than the other that was like the most commercially yeah, I didn't successful either. is that correct yeah. uh, at least in the states I you know I don't states, know the right. worldwide but it was the most successful in the U S well we all know that you know America is the only country that matters on this planet so <laughs> like right <yes. laughs> like right yep. in turn but um, I do feel like and and again this is probably probably just like a me thing but I do feel like the world's end kind of gets a little bit on un, un, like a little bit unloved compared to hot fuzz and compared mm-hmm. to Shaun of the dead. And I, I don't know. I, I think, I think, okay, first of all, I think it's really hard to pit these three movies against each other because they're all, they're all really good. Oh yeah. Um, I have a, incredibly fond memories of watching Shaun of the dead in my college dorm room on my region free DVD player with all my friends before it had come out in theaters in the U S. So like I, I could make a very strong case for me personally being like that being the most personally meaningful uh, movie of the bunch. But like, I just, I feel like people really give a lot of credit to hot fuzz and to Shaun of the dead. And there's just something about the world's end that for a lot of people just, it, it, just doesn't add up or doesn't compare favorably with the other two Cornetto movies. And I mean, I'm, I'm 32 years old, you know, turning 33 in, in June. So like there are things about the world's end that, you know, that really hit me now. I mean, this movie came out four years ago, obviously I was in my twenties then, but like now I think about it and I think that this is may, maybe like for me, one of the more resonant and one of the more, for lack of a better phrase, powerful films of the trilogy. 
Yeah, it's 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 more. It has more. It's especially uh, on the writing side. It has more depth and it has more maturity in a way. This definitely does feel like the third film uh, in that trilogy in terms of like the time passage between uh, Shaun of the Dead and uh, The World's End, and especially six years between Hot Fuzz and The World's End. And you can you can sense that uh, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg were kind of dealing with those uh, those issues about like what does it mean to grow up? What does it mean to have responsibility? You know, is it really that pathetic to uh, cling on to your old gro- glory days and refuse to like uh, look towards the future? Or is there any kind of uh, merit in that and it's interesting that we're talking about this movie now uh, even though it, it doesn't have any sci-fi elements I feel like uh, Train Spotting 2 um, kind of touched on these um, these themes as well um, uh, Ryan I Very know that so. you watched you watched Train Spotting 2 and you really liked it uh, Andy did you see it yet? I, you know what I actually I, I have I, I am actually glad we're talking about it because I feel like I, I feel like these two movies are kind of like in a very weird way of, like a surprising way of a piece um <laughs> With one another, I was actually expecting to really hate Train Spotting Two, and um, I, I it it really it worked for me, for a lot of the same reasons that this movie worked for me. But for the for the world's end, I feel like this this movie for me, there's like you're talking about there being more depth in this in the script, and the screenwriting, and I agree with that, and I, I think you can you can uh, prove that out just by describing the through lines of all three movies kind of in a row. Like in, in Shaun of the Dead, the through line is you know it's about you know, Sean, and he has to learn to, you know, he has to learn to be a man, you know, like mm-hmm. he's, he's got to learn to be a man. Like that's what his, that's what, uh, you know, what his uh, stepdad tells him. And that's like his entire mission in the movie. And then in the hot fuzz, it's about, um, it's about Nicholas learning to become like a really kick-ass action hero instead of being like the, like the stuffy, you know, uh, by the book kind of, uh, you know, nerd. And also um, to loosen up a little bit. So it, it kind of yeah. has the reverse trajectory from Sean of the Dead. Right, exactly, um, and then in in the world's end, it's about like it. There isn't like for me, there isn't a single way to summarize what the through line is. Like it's about yes, it's about learning to grow up. It's but it's also about learning to learning to to live with who you become and mm-hmm. like learning to tolerate just being who you are and learning to let go of your past and, and all these and, other and, things. And understanding so, like, that all those faults are kind of part of your nature. That's what the, the whole, mm. this, the whole, like, I love the, the ending of this film that it just doesn't devolve into another, like big giant fight between the, the, the robots slash aliens, uh, and the, and the drunk people who are going through the, uh, the long mile or whatever, the 12 pubs, uh, mm. the, the discussion at the end kind of turns into like, a um, like a Douglas Adams uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy style, like very kind of sardonic, dry humor about, you know, all these like, you know, the meaning of the life, the universe and everything. And the way that they kind of go into um, the themes of like the, the movie itself is kind of poking fun of the idea through Simon Pegg's character, Gary King. Uh, kind of poking fun at the uh, like how pathetic that might be to like just kind of just only cling on to your past and how self-destructive that can be, like the way that Train Spotting 2 kind of goes into as well. But then at the same time, the final theme that comes out of this version of it, I mean, it's basically yet another remake of the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, but in most of the versions of the Body Snatchers, the the reason behind the human's resistance is kind of like this... Um, 
philosophical idea of like people are you know it's it's ideal it's 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 ideological it's like people are individuals and we deserve to be we deserve to be ourselves and all that stuff and like the world's end philosophy because it's it's almost like saying people are complex and they do great things but they also fuck up a lot and that's part of our nature and that that's the kind of stuff that we need to embrace almost as much as our what makes us great and uh you know the i just love the parallel that the movie eventually makes between <clears throat> how gary's friends look at gary as this fuck up but this 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 being that's like still an inherent part of their psyche inherent part of their group and then the other planets kind of looking at earth as the gary of the the planetary system as the big fuck up yeah it, it there are definitely like and, it, and again like i don't want to i don't want to sound like i'm throwing any kind of like criticism in the way of you know toward hot fuzz or toward Shaun of the dead but there is like there is like just a, like layers of complexity in, in the world's end and like Maybe I wonder if maybe part of the reason, and again, just to reinforce this idea, this is probably just an anecdotal thing for me. Maybe part of the reason that people don't didn't really embrace the World's End as much as they did Hot Fuzz as, as much as they did Shaun of the Dead. Well, first of all, maybe maybe it's the fact that you know the World's End is only four years old compared to Hot Fuzz mm-hmm. compared to Shaun of the Dead. Like it's a younger movie, and we haven't really had time to embrace it in quite the same way. But I also think that the movie asks. Uh, its characters and and by by extension it acts is it's asking its audience to do some very hard things which is mm-hmm. really like look look at the things about your about themselves like that are not flattering and feel bad about those things and maybe realize that it's kind of okay but they're also they're also part of your nature like that's right. what it's Be- kind of puts out so there there's that there's that dichotomy going on and also yeah it does it does kind of uh, force you to do a little bit more emotional heavy lifting than mm. the other two films, and that might be why. Like, like Hot Fuzz is still my favorite out of the three, is because it's so incredibly because of its like amazing rewatchability. You could just pop it on at any point. Yeah, but but it doesn't also like kind of put a mirror against you and ask you to kind of reevaluate your life through this kind of science fiction uh, prism. Which in this case, I mean, the if the goal if their goal with the Cornetta trilogy was like one horror movie, one action movie, and one science fiction movie, they've it's it's kind of it was kind of inevitable that their science fiction movie was gonna have was gonna deal with like heavier themes because that's what science fiction does. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, I guess I realize I've been super quiet over here. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it makes sense. And the other thing, I guess, the reason I've never quite understood the shade that the movie does get uh given is that um it has all those things like there are different layer like the complexity of it i love the the structure of the movie the symmetry um and i i i'd love all of that but like people tend to forget this movie is also fucking hilarious like yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the one thing that yeah, it's yeah. like come on this movie is so damn funny it's one of the funniest movies um i mean i don't want to say that i've ever seen but it's really really freaking funny um but it has those moments where it's like, you know, the opening of the movie 
where you have um, Gary talking about uh, his youth and his friends and like what they did. And you think, oh, God, that this is how you're starting the movie. Like, it's just a voiceover and flashback, like how cliched. And then that snap to reality that he's sitting in an AA meeting is just like, you know, sets the tone for the movie very early on. So I love that. Um, I, I love the structure of the movie. Um, I've, I've actually had debates with um, our, our friend and fellow playlister, uh, Eric McClanahan, um, had debates with him about this movie because he mentioned that the movie's um, uh, pacing, like there were issue with the pacing of the movie um, because it kind of goes fast. Like, like it kind of has a slow build up in an hour and then like the last 40 minutes or so, like kind of speed ramps up. And I was like, yeah, but they're out drinking like that's kind of like if you've gone out a night mm-hmm. when you're drinking and you're progressively getting drunk like the night is moving by quicker or at least you're perceiving time faster uh and and things are getting hazier and so like i feel like as they're getting progressively drunker like the the pacing and the structure of the movie just fits that um so no i think it's i think it's great i think it's really well thought out i think it's a it is a more mature movie i think nick frost is the the absolute standout of this movie oh, yeah, um yeah. like i love i love uh simon pegg and he he's great in the movie too but like this is for me this is definitely nick frost's moment nick frost um, is kind of like he, the emotional anchor there like he's the one he that you, you you're, you're supposed to kind of identify with the most absolutely I think. but he's also great too like he's it's still one of his lines uh i still quote to this day if we're if I'm hanging out with some friends, I'm like, and nobody has anything better to do, so fuck it. And then <laughs> just go off and do the And then doesn't he, he uh, smashes his hands through the glass door. The door. <laughs> so good. It's so hysterical. It, it, like it, the, you know, you know how I was talking about like the the, the Wachowskis getting the Matrix out of their systems so they could make their other movies. I, I don't want to say that's the same thing about Edgar Wright, but he like he clearly had to make Shaun of the Dead. He had to make Hot Fuzz so that he could get to the point where he like he could make the world's end and have it be like as on point as it as it is. Like this is comedy. Comedy more than any genre, except for maybe horror, is is a genre that's all about precision. And the world's end is a is such a precise movie. Like the beats hit at exactly the right time. If if that if that like that. Well, fuck it, and then he smashes his hand. If those, if those like jokes had happened like a second before, or a second after, mm-hmm. you get the sense that they just wouldn't be as funny. They happen exactly when they need to, and and that's how the humor works for the entire for the entire movie, which is is really critical because I mean, let's take it back to Ryan, what you were talking about with the opening. That opening joke where you re- where it cuts to him in AA. Like it's funny, but it's the kind of funny that like where the laugh sticks in your throat because mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's really it's dark. And maybe like, that's the reason that people don't bring it up as like the as as maybe it's not be- it's because it's not as directly fun and just uh, goofy as as the other ones. Like it has it has something a little bit more to say about human nature. I I think there's something to that for sure, and I think. Maybe maybe this is maybe this is like you know subconsciously maybe this is why I was pitting this movie against the Matrix in my mind. But like you know you talk about the things about the Matrix that don't work as well, like the the philosophical elements that don't work as well. I think this this movie, The World's End, like the elements that it's like the the things that it's contending with that it uh, engages with are kind of timeless and they're much more universal. Like the the passage of time. Um, and the transition, you know, the transition from, you know, teenhood to, you know, 
20, 20 somethinghood to adulthood. That's something that we all experience no matter what. So there is something to, there's, there's maybe a little bit more meat to it. Uh, something that, you know, something that's a little bit easier for, for me personally, I would say to, to grapple with and to hang on to that keeps it anchored. You had, this is a movie where, uh, you know, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and Eddie Marsden and and uh, Patty Considine and Rosamund Pike all do like you know drunken master style fights through a bar against a bunch of robots. Like it's completely ridiculous, but it works. Yeah, apart from the comedy being on par with the other two films, I would also defend it as uh, I would I would also defend the action scenes as being just as mm. good as what you would find in like Hot Fuzz. Like it's the the choreography, the pacing, and the editing of the action scenes, and once that stuff picks up especially like how shocking the first uh fight scene develops because the film itself doesn't give you any hint towards like its real uh genre like it just basically plays out just like hot fuzz does in a way i i'll i'll jump in at this point and just say i it just occurred to me to like now but drunken master is my favorite Jackie Chan movie, so like the and and the fact that they have the this movie that like we're talking about this movie was shot by was was a, excuse me choreographed by Jackie Chan's uh, fight choreographer mm. if I'm if I'm not mistaken so like there's definitely like this was kind of like if if there was like a surefire way to get me to love this movie like that was that was it like I have a clear like bias toward this movie just for just for that detail. yeah i'm not surprised the fight choreography in this is like legitimately great well that's what edgar wright does like he knows he he's a very i mean he's a stylish filmmaker but it's just like he loves all kinds of movies and so it's like you know you watch he did scott pilgrim versus the world for the before this and so it's like you watch that movie and it's like you know he knows how to handle an action sequence like he knows his way around one very very well i do want to kind of mention um what you said about the pacing, Ryan, because we had that discussion with Eric as well when we talked about um, Shaun of the Dead in another episode. I love the pacing of this film almost a little bit more than the other two, maybe because the uh, the overall goal of the exposition that we get about like what the aliens want and what they're trying to do and how they look at uh, Earth as kind of like the Gary of the, the planetary system, like Simon Pegg's character, and how that like uh, parallel uh, builds itself. Um, in order to sell that ending, in, all the, in order to sell that, that, that intergalactic theme within the story, you have to be completely familiarized with uh, Gary and with his friends and their past and what they're going through right now, and especially what Gary's going through right now. And that that cements cements in those themes so well that when all the crazy sci-fi stuff happens then it's just like you just get the you get the parallels immediately and another thing that i would compare to matrix is that what i was talking about with uh the clunky exposition in the matrix and i I was saying um you know maybe a better writer would find a way to dole out the exposition the information about like what the aliens are after or what the the bad guys are after or whatever that those high concept ideas maybe another writer would have come up with a better way of like doling out that information while letting the plot kind of move along and 
that's this is it. What so you're telling me is that Edgar Wright should make the Matrix reboot or sequel or whatever that <laughs> I would, they're, I would they're gonna be making. I would watch the shit out of that. I would too. If there's any way to get me actually interested in any Matrix reboot or spin off or whatever, you know, putting somebody like Edgar Wright in charge of it would, would probably be a good way to do that for sure. What you're talking about is for me very true. You're you're talking like the this movie doesn't really play in in like the heavy exposition sandbox. Every detail that it shows you like in the frame, every joke is kind of important building up to like the big reveal and it's important you know for buttressing the actual narrative. Like even even the like David Bradley drinking out of a crazy straw like actually matters it's not just like hey let's just have him drink out of a crazy straw like, yeah, like it's, it's, it's a funny a, image and it also it. helps the plot there's a you know yeah. so, so they always work in this kind of like how does this affect the plot and how can you make this funny at the same time yeah i think i feel like edgar right like is always thinking about like what he's saying with everything every element that he puts into his movies and he, he tries not to like he tries very hard not to have any kind of wasted material, and I think I think the world's end in in a lot of ways is kind of um, the the best example of that. I, I I feel like I should be bringing up like another like another bit of proof for that than the crazy straw, but like the crazy straw for me is the entire movie. Like as soon as David Bradley's like not so crazy now, is it? Like first of all, <laughs> when I saw this in theaters, I I just I I could not breathe. Like it is it is like not it's not like the the most like intellectual or like you know like unexpected joke that i've ever heard in my life but it's it's like it's used so perfectly like it's used to make a point it still kills me every time i watch that or 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 how how the aliens are hung up on not being called robots because robot means slave slave yeah yeah that's that's a great that's a great running joke but then at the same time it gives you pretty much all the exposition you need yeah i i feel like i feel like what Edgar Wright does is he he is so um, fastidious about his design that he, it lets him like the design of his movies, the design of his narratives. But by the time he gets to like he gets to his film's third act, he can kind of go crazy and do all kinds of you know like nutty things. Like like the last act of Hot Fuzz is is just blissful, yeah, violent lunacy. <laughs> Well, you watch the first two acts to get to the third act, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you're just well, like pumped up for it. Yeah, you're like you're you're so you're amped for it, and then like it there's it's just a huge release. What I really what I think is actually kind of brilliant about the world's end is that where you know Shaun of the Dead goes bigger toward the end, and Hot Fuzz goes bigger toward the end. The world's end kind of in a lot of ways goes smaller. Like I love that. You, yeah. yeah, which I love. You were talking about how like it could have just been like another another big drunken brawl between humans and robots but it's just yeah it turns into this drunken philosophical discussion between the aliens and the humans <laughs> yeah it's you know it's 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 simon Pegg, it's nick frost patty constantine all you know drunkenly cussing at a light and it and it just after that yes you have the big explosion you have mm-hmm. the, literally the end of the world as we know it and so that's pretty big so i feel like the argument i'm making is generous but the impetus behind that comes from a much you know a smaller place like three really three really only like four characters in a room and then just a whole bunch of extras who really don't have any 
any involvement in the scene or any speaking lines. And I think it does, I, I think it gets away with like, I think it does the, like the, the existential philosophical rambling thing very well. In part, I think it, it gets to cheat because it's characters are drunk so the like if it sounds if it sounds like like really faux intellectual you can you can just give them some slack because they're blasted but like even even though they're shit-faced they're they're just nuggets of, of truth in their shit-facedness oh yeah i mean and and talk about like one of the um you know the other extras or the other townspeople and like the the very small amounts of lines that they get my favorite is, uh, and this also goes back to Edgar Wright, like setting up a joke and paying it off. But yeah, like Patty Considine at one point asked, like, what do they do with the Antis? And uh, the other guy, the crazy straw guy, says, like, don't ask me that. And then in the end, the, the, the aliens, like, explain what they do with the Antis. And then you just hear this, like, ADR line of him going, like, I told you not to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, so good. Yeah, this, this, this movie's brilliant. But what do you, what do you, do you have... Uh, uh, any other stuff to add, uh, Ryan? Me? Uh, no, I'm actually, frankly, just enjoying hearing you guys uh, talk about it because, like, I I love this movie. I honestly do. But like, there's just Andy hearing the like deep, like personal connection you have with the movie outside of breaking down what makes it such a like sophisticated comedy in its own right um, uh, is great. So I was I'm happy that you were able to come on and uh, and share that. I think that's excellent. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. And and also uh, I did have. Uh, the world's end as an underrated eventually on my list so um, basically like let me tick off one uh, without it being my turn and I love that one that happens I always bring it up Uh, but yeah thank you so much for like uh, picking these films Uh, and uh, yeah they're great picks and thank you so much for for joining us on this well thank you so much for having me it's been it's been a real pleasure I, I loved it so I guess before we wrap this up, do you have any just closing thoughts on World's End? Anything else you want to want to get out before we wrap up? Maybe this isn't maybe comforting, but this is a movie that like I always like whenever I'm about to take a trip over to the UK, like this is one of like the the movies that I really want to throw on my Blu-ray player and just give a watch one more time. And and maybe that's true of all the all the Cornetto trilogy movies, but like this this one in in a, in a lot of ways feels uh very real to me sans the robots those those are not real you guys are safe if you go to the uk you won't get you, know, you won't okay. you won't get uh you know destroyed like killed by robots or yeah we're like not going to get shot at by a bunch of like uh townsfolk either like old ladies with shotguns and stuff no no yeah you're you're, you're safe there you you might you might get some like some major stink eye if you if you like <laughs> ring the doorbell too many times when you walk into their shop but like yeah you'll be fine <laughs> nice um, well, I guess that, yeah, we'll, we're starting to slow down, so we'll go ahead and uh, wrap this episode up. Uh, Andy, thank you again for uh, joining us. Uh, where can we find uh, more of your work? You can find all of my collected writing at agcrump.wordpress.com. That's my blog where I uh, store all of my stuff. You, but I, in the specific, I write for the playlist, of course. I also write for Paste Magazine and Birth Movies Death. Awesome. That's a lot of a lot of good stuff to look forward to there. And Octay, where where can we find you? Oh, uh, I'm a film critic and contributor for uh, the playlist, uh, DVD Talk, and uh, Bayasparda.com. And you can find me mostly just here at the playlist. Um, it on this podcast and writing for the playlist. 
Um, you can also, oh, we also have to thank uh, Rodrigo Perez and the playlist for hosting our podcast. As always, it's always a pleasure. Um, you can like our podcast on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Over Under Movies. Um, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, or the link uh, on the playlist that you're potentially listening to right now. Uh, subscribe to us, leave a comment or rating, help us know what we're doing right and what we can improve on. Uh, but before we wrap up, I have to pitch some picks for next time, uh, which will be my round of picks. And um, we're going to be doing a horror Western vampire theme, I guess, for both movies. Uh, they actually sync up a lot better than I realized. Uh, but for the overrated, uh, we'll be doing Robert Rodriguez's From Dust Till Dawn, a movie that uh, well, we'll save it. We'll save it for the episode. Uh, and a uh, and my underrated is going to be Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark, uh, which has one of my favorite performances from the late great Bill Paxton. So, I'm looking forward to discussing these uh, these picks. And um, until next time, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one.